Welcome to the Healthy Hormones for Women podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Gladish, online nutritionist, weight loss coach, and hormone fixer-upper. I'm excited to bring you a weekly dose of information and inspiration, sharing with you simple and effective strategies from health, wealth, and all things personal growth. Get ready to become the master of your hormones and experience vibrant health to live a life of more power and possibility. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you guys are doing amazing. Today is a really exciting day because Marnie and I are diving into our free thyroid and Hashimoto's webinar this evening. So grab your jammies, get comfy, grab your favorite cup of tea and come join us tonight on our free webinar. We are sharing amazing strategies and tips for supporting your thyroid and your Hashimoto's. We're really diving into our story and our struggles and the symptoms that we experienced with Hashimoto's. And we are giving you guys a behind the scenes look at the Healing and Dealing with Hashimoto's online four-week program. And there are lots of goodies and amazing bonuses in this round. So we're really excited to share it. So come join us tonight. You can head on over to healinghashies.com. If you sign up on that list, you will receive all the webinar information. But if you also head on over to my website, at holisticwellness.ca. All the information is there that for joining us in tonight's webinar, we're posting it on our social media. So to access the link and join us on tonight's webinar, the information is like all over the place. You can follow me over on Instagram at holisticwellnessfoodie and all the details for joining the webinar are there as well as on my website and even in today's show notes at holisticwellness.ca forward slash episode 32 to grab all of today's show notes with Dr. Becky Campbell and to grab our webinar link. All the information is there. So, and if you guys have questions and can't access anything, just send me a message on Instagram and I'm happy to help direct you guys. And it's exciting because it's a live webinar and it's unlike, you know, being on the podcast where it's just me chatting with myself or my guest. And tonight we get to actually interact with you guys, which is so amazing and answer your questions and really connect and chat with you guys live. So I'm really excited for that. So we're going to really share our struggles and, you know, the symptoms that we experienced and how and why we decided to put together the four-week healing and dealing with Hashimoto's program. And then, of course, if you have some pressing questions or even questions about our program, that's why we're here and we're doing this free webinar. So we're really excited. And today we're continuing the thyroid conversation. Thyroid health is just such a complex issue. And it's something I get questioned about all of the time. And thyroid tends to be at the root of so many issues for so many women. And so today we're diving into thyroid health from a little bit of a different perspective. I feel like we've talked a lot about nutrition and thyroid. And then of course, we had Kasha Kynes on here recently where we talked about EBV. And so today we're looking at some other triggers, things like vitamin deficiencies. And yes, of course, food and different chemical and food intolerances, but also things like your HPA access imbalance or heavy metal toxicity and gut dysbiosis and sex hormone disruption and how all these things play a role with your thyroid. 
So my guest today is Dr. Becky Campbell, and she is a board-certified doctor of natural medicine who was initially introduced to functional medicine as a patient. She struggled with many of the issues her patients struggle with today, and she has made it her mission to help patients all around the world with her virtual practice. Dr. Becky Campbell is the founder of drbeckycampbell.com and author of the 30-Day Thyroid Reset Plan. She specializes in thyroid disease, autoimmune disease, and histamine intolerance, and hopes to help others regain their life as functional medicine helped her regain hers. So let's dive in to today's episode with Dr. Becky Campbell. Hi, Becky. Welcome to the podcast. I would love it for you to share with our audience more about who you are and what you do. Hey, okay. Well, I'm a functional medicine practitioner and I got there by being sick myself. I think that's the story of many functional medicine practitioners. So I just kind of gained 30 pounds out of nowhere. I think that's a really big sign whenever that happens, that something's wrong. And I hadn't changed what I was eating. I was exercising six days a week. But I noticed also that my exercise is making me really, really exhausted, and it hadn't been before that. And in addition to you know the exercise making me exhausted, I was just exhausted. I mean, all the time, tired, no matter how much I slept, just tired. So my hair was falling out. I was getting very anxious. You know, all of these symptoms were coming on that I hadn't really experienced before. And I went to a lot of different doctors and my lab ranges were, first of all, they only tested TSH and it was around a five. So to them, that was normal, which we know is way too high. So they just dismissed me and then sent me to each type of doctor for each symptom I was having and no one found anything. And so I was basically put on antidepressants, you know, kind of told it was in my head basically and knew it wasn't. And then I found this amazing big center of functional medicine where I was living and they completely took a different approach. They did a much more thorough thyroid panel. They used smaller ranges. They looked at my gut health, my adrenal health, my heavy metals, all that stuff. And through working with all that, I got better. And so I knew I had to help other people learn about this because I think even as big as this is now, it's still so many people who don't even know what functional medicine is. So that's kind of how I got here. I work with a lot of different issues, but I think the thyroid you know, is where most people come to me because they know my story and my story is that I can relate to them. So I work with probably 70, 80% of my practice as thyroid patients. Yes, I can totally relate to that story myself. And I know that there are so many women listening who can relate to that as well. And what I love is that you didn't just stop there once you got your TSH results, you kept looking for more solutions. And so I think that's an important message is, is that you kept going to find more solutions and really dig deeper, which is really what women need to do. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things, and even this functional medicine practice, they did put me on armor, but the armor worked very temporarily for me. So I think that was another big sign I needed to, you know, keep digging and finding out what was going on more and more. And even after, you know, learning functional medicine myself, I've still continued to learn about more things that were, you know, I didn't even realize at the time were contributing to my issue. So... Right. So what were some of the things that you discovered that were maybe 
new to you or just something that you were completely unaware of that was kind of a bit of a shock maybe? So I didn't really have many symptoms in the gut. I did notice I got very tired after eating certain things and maybe a little bit bloated, but I wasn't constipated or anything like that. But I ended up having candida, which is a yeast overgrowth. And I had parasites, which I was shocked because you hear you can only get parasites if you leave the country. And that wasn't the case. So that I had a very bad case of leaky gut. And then I had really high cortisol levels. And I think that's where most of my weight gain was stemming from. What else? I had Epstein-Barr virus. And I realized that, you know, there was a bout earlier where I was like, literally just couldn't get out of bed. And I realized I probably had mono at that time. And I had mercury toxicity. I had mast cell activation syndrome, which is something that I didn't learn about till way later. So they didn't help me figure that out. I actually figured that out myself. But that's a whole huge (laughs) topic that I need to some show. But anyways, so those were kind of the main things that I was dealing with. That's a lot. And I know there's so many women listening too that are sometimes overwhelmed by all of this information because it feels like there's so much testing and like you kind of just go down this rabbit hole. Yeah. So I'm curious in your own experience, you know, how long did it take for you to really start feeling better? And the reason I ask this is because I'll sometimes get emails from women and they're like, I've been working on my thyroid for three months and nothing's changing. So I'm over this. And it's like three months. Right. That's not nearly enough time. Right. And it's also typically they're working on maybe one or two pieces of the puzzle, but not the entire picture. So that's the problem with, you know, thyroid issues is you have to get really look and see all the different things that could be triggering and address all of them. So I think I lost weight pretty quickly once I started to get my cortisol down. So that was, you know, obviously a bonus for me because as women, you know, as, as in general, I don't think anyone likes to be feel overweight or not fit into their clothes. It's depressing. And so that kind of started to happen quicker once I removed gluten and dairy, which were really obviously inflaming me. You know, I was very puffy. I have a photo on my Instagram of before and after, and I just look swollen. And I was. So that was maybe within, you know, a couple of months, but then, you know, you had to work on the gut. I actually had to work on my candida for a year. I did a candida diet for a year. Whoa. (laughs) That's commitment. I know. They were sort of functionalists. They were more like naturopaths, integrative medicine, I guess. So it wasn't everything that I would do, but it was more like diflucan and that kind of stuff. And then just caprylic acid. So First of all, I don't think that the treatment protocol was the right treatment protocol. I do much more than that for candida, but I also had to get my mercury fillings removed before my candida would go away. So it was a long kind of road. I mean, it was about a year. You know, my patients, I really honestly, under six months, get huge, huge improvements. Right. But I think that there's so much more information now, you know, than there was back then. So. Absolutely. So you have this epic book, The 30-Day Thyroid Reset Plan. And I love that in this book, you highlight seven different triggers that are making us sick. Mm -hmm. And I'd love for us to dive into some of those triggers and how they relate to the health of our thyroid. So I'm going to let you take the reins on this one and choose where you want to start. Okay. 
So the gut, of course, is where I always look first because I get a different percentage depending on what I'm reading, but it's about 90 to 97% of hypothyroidism is Hashimoto's. So Hashimoto's, you know, when you look at that, it's actually an immune system issue more than a thyroid issue. And the immune system is located in the gut. Most of it is, 70 to 80% of it is. So you have to look at gut health. You have to look for yeast overgrowth, bacterial imbalances, low stomach acid, SIBO, which is a small intestine bacteria overgrowth, and then leaky gut, of course. You know, leaky gut to me is an open doorway for autoimmune disease. But you have to address the gut infections that could be causing the leaky gut. So that's always where I start. And then I also like to address the HPA access, which is the stress access, because there's so much stress. <laughs> I mean, I don't know one person who doesn't have some form of stress. I mean, even if it's not emotional stress, it could be physical stress. So that really plays a role in what our thyroid is doing. The thyroid and the adrenal glands run really hand in hand. They work together. So looking at those things, looking at viruses, you know, the Epstein-Barr virus, there's so much that came out over the last couple of years about that. And, you know, now knowing my own story, I did have the Epstein-Barr virus and I had strep throat six times the year before I got diagnosed. So I think it all really plays a big role. Some Lyme disease, uh, things like that can play a role as well. Heavy metals, definitely. I know mercury was a big trigger for me. For anyone, let's say about 30, maybe 35 and older, if you've had a filling, it was pretty typically a mercury filling. So I had five of them when I was a kid. And then I had them unsafely removed all at once. And so I know that that was a big trigger for me. My mercury levels were sky high. So... So you had them, sorry, unsafely removed? Unsafely removed. So there's safe removal by a, yep. a biodentist. Yes. And then there's unsafe removal where they're just yanking them out. I mean, they did five in one day and I passed out right when they tried to sit me up after I passed out. And it was probably because such a big release of all that you know, mercury at one time. It's just crazy. That is crazy. If you are having these <laughs> fillings removed, go to a biodentist. And then nutrient deficiencies. You know, a lot of thyroid patients have nutrient deficiencies. And I kind of, for me, I see most nutrient deficiencies tied to gut infections, you know, especially SIBO. The small intestine is where we're absorbing a lot of our nutrients. So if you have an infection in the small intestine, you're not going to absorb your nutrients properly. So I think I hit them all. Did I hit them all? Let's see. I think you did. Heavy metals, wow. vitamin deficiencies, gut health, and leaky gut, HPA axis. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. I want to expand on some of these. So going back to gut health, because I know that this is going to be a huge question, is I know women are thinking, well, how do I know if I have SIBO? Like, What's the testing for SIBO or what's the testing for leaky gut? So where yeah. would somebody start with that? Okay. So the testing... Different practitioners will use different tests. But first of all, I want to say that you don't have to have one symptom in your gut to have a gut infection. So don't say, oh, no, I, you know, I go to the bathroom every day. I don't have a gut infection. That doesn't even matter. But I use two different tests for SIBO. One is a breath test. The problem with breath tests is that they can be a little bit inaccurate at times. I think that you know you can get a lot of false positives actually more than false negatives. I 
used one company where every single person was positive. And I was like, eh, I don't know. So a breath test. And then I actually really like Cyrex Labs. They have a blood test. And I think it's Array 20, 20 or 22. No, it's Array 22, I believe. And that looks at really in bacteria in the large and small intestine and leaky gut. It's kind of all in one. So if a patient will let me, I'll do both of those tests. The Cyrex test is a lot more expensive than the breath test. So some people only want to do that. Right. So those are the tests I use for that. And then I definitely always stool test. I like doctor's data. They have a great stool test. I like the three you do for three days. So I feel like that's the most thorough, in my opinion, test. The GI map test is really good. The only thing with the GI map is there is only one vial. So it's looking for more things, but it's not getting as much soul. So I'm trying to, you know, figure out which one I like better. Sometimes, you know, again, if, if someone will let me do both, that's really ideal. Right. So, and then leaky gut, I always use Cyrex's array too. That's a blood test. Cyrex is a great lab. I love them. They have such good tests. And so these are obviously for the US. Are you familiar with any labs for Canada? And I'm, I'm not sure if people can order Cyrex through Canada. I'd have to look into that one. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I have worked with people in Canada. In all honesty, I don't handle that end of it, but I don't think it's been a problem. You know, sometimes it can be a problem getting supplements to Canada. So I'll have people ordering off Amazon stuff, but I don't know of labs specifically for Canada. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. We do like the SIBO breath test and there's a lot of testing we can do through doctor's data. And yeah. we also do the GI map test. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to look into that and put them in the show notes because I know I'm going to be asked on it. <laughs> <laughs> so you also mentioned the HPA axis. And can you expand on this? I know that stress is really one of the common causes here, but what else can cause HPA axis imbalances or issues? Yeah. So blood sugar issues definitely can cause, you know, high blood sugar can cause high cortisol, which causes a thousand problems. And weight gain. Yep. Oh yeah. (laughs) Especially if you have that belly weight gain and everything else is not really gaining weight, you definitely want to look into cortisol. Physical stress. So having gut infection can cause bad stress response in the body, causing cortisol levels to either go up or eventually go down. Let's see. I mean, really, it's it's more physical, emotional, mental stress. Sex hormone imbalances can play a role because it's all, you know, coming from the same place, you know, the pituitary and telling everybody what to do, you know, all these different organs. So it all just plays a big role, which is why I do for testing for that, I use the Dutch test. Love it. That's just awesome. It's the most thorough adrenal test I've ever seen. It's more thorough than a saliva test. And one of the biggest differences I see is that saliva is only looking at free cortisol. And that's only about 1% to 3% of total cortisol. So the Dutch test looks at free cortisol and total cortisol. And then you can kind of see... If it, you know, one's down and one's high, you know, let's say free cortisol is low and total cortisol is high, you know, it could be a problem with something else driving that. So you can kind of really look into further detail as a practitioner as to, well, why is this happening? Why is their cortisol high? And 
also not treating based on just one thing. You know, if you have low free cortisol, but high total cortisol, you don't want to give someone a bunch of stuff to raise their cortisol because they're still having too much cortisol issue. So, so that, and then it goes really thorough into the sex hormones. I mean, I've never seen the sex hormones broken down. Have you like, like that test? Awesome. Looking at methylation status, looking at neurotransmitter activity, B vitamin levels, melatonin levels. So that is definitely my preferred test. So would you say that outside of doing a full thyroid panel, that the next hormone testing would be something like the Dutch test? Yeah. On all my patients, I do a a full thyroid panel. Plus I'll usually look really just a full blood panel, looking at a lot of different things. And then I always do gut testing, no matter if they have any gut complaints or not. And then I do the Dutch test, the Dutch complete test. And so what are some other tests in terms of in the blood work? that mm-hmm. you would recommend women ask their doctor for something like ferritin or you know yeah. what other what other labs would you ask I for? do a full lipid panel we know that there's a big thyroid cholesterol connection and even if your thyroid numbers are not technically out of range but your cholesterol is all the time that's a big sign that your thyroid is not functioning properly so i do that i do homocysteine because so many people have methylation issues with the MTHFR gene mutation. It's one thing to know that you have that gene mutation, but then you need to check homocysteine to find out if it's actually causing you a problem. So I do that. I do C-reactive protein to look for inflammation. I do a complete metabolic panel looking at you know kidney, liver function, glucose levels. I do a hemoglobin A1C to look for 90 days of, of glucose levels a full CBC, a full iron panel with ferritin. I do the copper to zinc ratio. I do ceruloplasmum to see what, you know, how much free copper there is or bound. I think that's it. I mean, that's my starter. You know, that's what I start right. with. And then I can yeah. get into viral panels and all that stuff if I need to. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, when most people work with me, it's thyroid panel, Dutch, and a metabolic panel. So... That's good. So you mentioned vitamin deficiencies. Yeah. And I'm sure there are many. Can we maybe expand on this and how these deficiencies are impacting the thyroid or Hashimoto's and hormones overall? So I think one of the problems that people have mostly is a conversion issue. So they're not converting T4, which is inactive, to T3, which is the active form of thyroid hormone. And so there's certain nutrients that definitely aid in that conversion. Selenium is one. You always hear people talk about selenium and selenium deficiencies with thyroid disease. And personally, I don't always put people on a selenium supplement. I try to get them to do selenium-rich foods, which I go into in the book. I think with any, anything that you need, you should try it with food first because nobody really wants to take you know, handfuls of pills every day. So Brazil nuts are great if you can tolerate nuts, you know, eggs, spinach, grass-fed beef, stuff like that. And then zinc, you know, zinc is really also important for proper T3 levels and supporting the immune system. And vitamin C is really important for supporting the immune system. Iron levels are really important to make sure because there's, you know, a lot of people can have iron deficiency and thyroid disease. 
B vitamins, B vitamins are really important. I find that so many people have B vitamin deficiencies. You know, sometimes I'll run a Nutra eval from Genova and it's typically the B vitamins that are low. So, you know, iodine is a tricky subject when it comes to Hashimoto's. And I do talk about this in the book. Basically where I stand on that is if you have adequate selenium levels and you're low in iodine, some form of iodine, maybe more like kelp flakes on your food, just a little bit is acceptable. But if your selenium levels are low and you do any of that, you can really flare up the thyroid with the Hashimoto's. And I would never do like a real iodine supplement like Iodorol. I just wouldn't give that to somebody with Hashimoto's. But so those are kind of where I look as far as nutrients are. Awesome. Yeah, that's really thorough. And I do know that there's just a lot of controversy around the iodine supplementation. And especially with Hashimoto's, I do think it's something for women to be conscious about for sure. Yeah. And I think it's also one of those things so many people are familiar with the importance of iodine and thyroid health. And then they hear you have thyroid issues and it's like, you just need more iodine. And it's like, it's so beyond that. That's not the solution. Plus, and some people are getting really inflamed from it. I mean, I've seen people's, they just swell. I mean, you visibly. Right. Taking like iodorol, if they have Hashimoto's, it's just not really a good idea for most people. So, right. And yeah, it just it does. It goes way beyond just iodine levels. Absolutely. And so going back to heavy metal toxicity and your mercury fillings, I mean, my fiance has mercury fillings and I keep telling him he has to get them taken out. He had them years ago. He's almost 40 now. So he had them years ago and he's just scared that taking them out is going to cause more issues. But again, it really does come down to having a biological dentist remove them. So Right. You didn't have that done. You you had them removed just by regular dentist. So what did you do post removal in terms of supporting your body and, and detoxing from the mercury? Well, one thing I want to say is that I never ever tell anyone to have them removed before I check their levels because some people are such good methylators that they're just pushing it right out. That's true. Getting them removed might even cause a bigger problem than leaving them in. It's typically not the case, but it, it can be. So I always check that first. I actually really like the Quicksilver, Dr. Chris Shade. He's great. He knows a lot about heavy metals. And I use his lab for testing because it's an unprovoked test. I think provoked tests can be really dangerous. And it uses hair, blood, and urine. So it's really, really thorough. And it's Mm -hmm. looking at whether your kidneys are getting rid of it and your liver too. So it's not just looking at the metals. So anyways... I I was never a good candidate for chelation, like, you know, doing like a strong chelator. I just couldn't. I have MTHFR. I don't detox well. So a lot of people come to me are in the same position. So there's a couple different things that I, I use and it depends on the person. But the Quicksilver brand, they do have, it's called the Detox Cube. It's so it's like glutathione and vitamin C. And then it's an intestinal metal it's basically pulling metals from the intestines. And that's one of the best and most gentle ways I have learned to get rid of metals. But, you know, it can take a really long time. Yes, it can. And sometimes I find that people just are better off leaving that alone and just getting the fillings out and then like leaving it alone, just opening up the detox pathways 
which is what I always do anyways. I always work on the liver, getting those detox pathways open and kind of letting your body just see what it can get rid of on its own. Because sometimes you can really, really mess people up by starting pulling metals and moving those things around. For sure. Absolutely. There's a clinic I work at one day a week and we do a lot of heavy metal testing there and we do the chelation therapy and everything. The owner of the clinic used to be a firefighter. So he works with a lot of firefighters who've been exposed yeah, Yeah. to a lot of heavy metal toxicity. So it's really interesting. But I do agree. I mean, if you are a good methylator, then yeah, you don't want to kind of like stir the pot or cause more issues, right? Yeah. Because sometimes you can just move that stuff around in there and if you're not going to the bathroom well and your detox pathways aren't open, you're going to just hold on to it. Right. And then you're going to feel really, really sick. So it's, I would never, ever attempt to touch any type of heavy metal issue on my own as a, just someone trying to work on my health as my own. I would always do it with someone who really knows what they're doing with, with heavy metals. That's good. That's important for everybody listening not to take this on your own. You do want to work with a practitioner who can guide you through that. So let's dive into food, a topic I love chatting about. (laughs) And you've got this great meal plan in your book and you've got lots of great recipes, which I love. So let's chat about the optimal diet for supporting thyroid health and even supporting Hashimoto's. Yeah. So I typically follow a paleo-ish type of diet. And the reason is, is because I've seen such success with it. It's what works best for me. It's what works best for most of my patients. So, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with that, it's, you know, whole foods, organic chicken, you know, turkey, whatever, grass-fed meats. You don't want any of those hormones and antibiotics that you're going to get in and conventional types of meat. Getting rid of dairy, getting rid of gluten, which is probably the most important thing you can do for thyroid health, getting rid of gluten and, and keeping gluten on. It's not even, you know, in my reintroduction phase, you, you definitely don't see gluten in there. And then as far as what I believe is best for people is getting rid of grains and beans for the most part. Sometimes I'll let people have some and sometimes, you know, it really depends on the person. Kind of after the first initial 30 days, it really depends on what is realistic for people because you want to set them up for success. So for some for people, sure. just staying on this really strict diet is just hard. And then adding a lot of healthy fats, you know, avocado and coconut oil and that type of stuff, olive oil, avocado oil, whatever. And, you know, wild caught fish. And, you know, as long as it's the low mercury, <laughs> like salmon is a great option. Right. Some nuts and seeds, some people do well with them, some people don't. You know, I do not start anyone ever on an autoimmune paleo diet. I will go to that point if I need to. But I really find that a lot of people do okay without doing that. So it's really just depends on the person. But that's how I lay it out in the book too. It's like start this way, do this next, do this next, depending on how you responded. And that's kind of what I do in my practice too. Yeah, I've done the AIP protocol myself a few times, but I've also been paleo for many, many years. If I were to just jump into AIP, it can be really challenging because there are a lot of restrictions and, you know, listeners can find out all this information on the blog and whatnot if they want to dive deeper into AIP, but it definitely has its restrictions. And so for myself, I did my food intolerance test And then I kind of took that with the AIP and was like, okay, what are some of these triggers that are showing up for me that 
are also suggested to eliminate an AIP. And I kind of like made my own. So like nuts and seeds, especially almonds were really high for me, eggs. And so I kind of play around with it. But I do think that ultimately you know, we're also individual. And so what works for me won't work for you and vice versa. And so you do kind of have to play around with it a bit, but it is very interesting to see how many different, even like spices and Mm -hmm. different herbs and things like that, that can be quite triggering. Yes. Yeah. And for different reasons. I mean, I have histamine intolerance, so I can eat avocados and spinach all day and, you know, which some people do. And and it's not about having a food allergy or whatever. It's just for me, it's the histamine levels. So right. it's just so different for everybody. And I tried with the book to help people to discover what worked best for them instead of saying, everyone do this and you're going to do this forever because it just doesn't work like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the key things to eliminate, like you mentioned, are the gluten and the dairy and the grains, and then maybe potentially moving into something like nuts and seeds temporarily and seeing how how you do with that. So yeah, I think that that's a really good place to start. So you also mentioned organ meats in your 30-day reset. (laughs) And I mean, I know how amazing liver is. It's like one of the best foods, but I'm sure a lot of people will be like, what? Really? Why would (laughs) I do that? Yeah. So it's the most nutrient-dense food there is, I think, but it doesn't taste good for everybody. So I did actually include one recipe, the way I made it, I can make it the most flavorful you can think of in the book. And you know what? If you just can't do it, you can't do it. But if you can, you should do it as often as you can, as long as your iron levels aren't really high, because it's just so nutrient-dense. So can you share your way of preparing liver? Yeah. So I do it with, I think for that recipe, it's hard to remember now. I think I made that recipe like the last time, like a year ago, but I believe I coated it with coconut flour and then added bacon. So kind of frying it in the coconut Mm -hmm. flour, adding, oh, it's in bacon and onions. So like I like to caramelize onions Really, Uh, I found it. I've got the book in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) And so you're kind of getting the onion taste, which is actually sweet when you caramelize it, and then the bacon, and then you are getting that organ meat as well, but it mixes well with those two ingredients. So for me, that's the most tolerable way to have it. Awesome. So I'm going to have to try that. And I keep saying I'm going to make like a chicken liver mousse or something like that or a pate. There is this place in Toronto called Flock. It's a restaurant and they have the most delicious chicken liver mousse I've ever tried. Ever. It is so good. And I'm always like, I just got to call the chef and I wonder if he'd be willing to share his recipe. Probably at least part of it. Right. Right. Just a general idea. Do you like it otherwise? Not really. I mean, I've thought about also maybe incorporating it in like a meatloaf or a burger or something like that. I know growing up, my mom just like fried it up with onions and was totally fine eating it that way and not for me. (laughs) Yeah. And you can get it really, really small and stick it in like soups and stews and that type of stuff too. I don't like it myself. I mean, I couldn't just eat it, just cook it and eat it. So I have to really get creative to get it down. Yeah. You can take a supplement. (laughs) Yes. I do have the supplement. I have the vital proteins, beef liver supplements. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) That's the easy way out. It is. So you also mention 
the importance of clean beauty care mm-hmm. and personal cleaning products like in your house and whatnot. So can you expand on that a little bit? So, so many people really don't realize the deep impact that the chemicals and our beauty products have on our hormone levels. You know, raising estrogen is what you really see the most with that. And I see people with perfume, I mean, wearing so much perfume and they're like, why aren't I getting better? And it's really affecting their hormone levels. They can't really balance those out without removing that kind of stuff. And not only are they hurting themselves, but they're actually hurting everyone around them too. So they make up and skincare to make it affordable, I guess. They put a lot of chemicals in it. So there are you know, a lot of different companies who I think are great and more and more people are showing up and trying to change you know, their products and take things out of their products. And I work with Beauty Counter, who I think is great because not only is their mission amazing, but their products are actually really good. And sometimes that's the problem you find is that like natural makeup, it's hard to put on, it doesn't stay on or whatever. And so that's why I've kind of settled on, you know, doing, I think I do beauty counter for like 90% of my skincare and makeup. And then as far as scent goes, I definitely don't wear perfume. I used to, I mean, but I wear just essential oils now. And then even your household cleaning products. I mean, there's so many harsh chemicals in that stuff and different essential oil companies will make stuff you can make household cleaner with. There's Dr. Bronner's who's great. They have a really good universal household cleaner. So I kind of mix it up and use a bunch of different stuff. But in the book, I give, you know, do-it-yourself recipes and that kind of things because it just plays such a big role and it's really important. I agree. Our environment is just as important as our food and supplementation. And I think it's oftentimes something that we neglect. Mm -hmm. And I used to be that annoying perfume girl that worked in the mall that you would walk by and I would spritz you with Uh perfume. Yeah. Many years ago in my teens, I got a job working for L'Oreal. And L'Oreal, they basically like owned Ralph Lauren and Diesel and Armani fragrances. And so I was that perfume girl for many years because at 16, you're getting paid $17 an hour when your friends are making eight bucks. And you're like, yeah, I'll I'll do this job. And And inhaling it all day. All day. How many times did you spray that in a day? My God. It was crazy. You know, you come home just like reeking of perfume and it's like literally like embedded in your skin and your hair and your clothes and everything. And I went to so many different trainings on all the different perfumes and whatnot. And it is so far from natural. So, so far, if anybody is listening to this and spending their hard-earned cash on these brand names, really, it is just such garbage. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it is loaded with so much toxicity. So essential oils are definitely the way to go. I use them myself. Yeah. Yeah, And you can honestly, I think essential oils smell better. I think it's I don't know. I don't even like the smell of perfume anymore. I don't want to offend anybody because I think some people don't even realize what their perfume's doing, but I think it's a really important message to get out there that it really can be hurting your health and you can smell good with mixing some coconut oil and essential oils together and putting that on and you'll smell amazing. Absolutely. Healing your body at the same time rather than hurting it. Right. And I think of how many women, I mean, myself included, I used to spray my perfume like 
right on my neck, directly on my thyroid. Yes. Yes. So something to be conscious of for sure. And so quick question about fruit. This just came to mind. I'm curious what your thoughts are on fruit intake. Should we be eating it? Should we not? How much should we be eating? I think that that varies, you know, depending on the person. I typically like to keep a rule of under 10 grams a day and, you know, really not having high glycemic fruit really much at all, just because of the spike, you know, the blood sugar and insulin spike that you get from that. And that plays a role in your thyroid as well. So I think that there's a lot of really great nutrients in fruit. So I would hate to say discard it completely but I would say stick to lower glycemic fruit. I give the glycemic index actually in the book. And if you have blood sugar issues, you know, if you react poorly to fruit, you just might not be a good candidate for it at all, or really just a lower amount of it. Awesome. All right. And so question for, I know that this is something that many women are probably thinking right now. They're thinking, what are the steps I can actually take if I'm not going to do all this gut testing right now and if and if supporting gut health is the place to start then what can I do outside of testing what are some key things to do with lifestyle yeah diet all of that you know where can we start so this is the exact reason I created this book not everybody can work with a functional medicine practitioner. It can be expensive, you know? Right. And so I wanted people to see exactly where do you start? What exactly should you be eating? What supplements might you you want to consider? What type of exercises should you be doing based on what level or, you know, where you are at with your thyroid issue, removing toxins from the home, those things are really important. And I wanted to make sure that these recipes included gut supporting foods like fermented foods, because again, so much of this is autoimmune driven. So I think that, you know, diet, removing toxins, mindfulness training and meditation are really important. You know, really, ideally, I would like to see people supporting their bodies as much as they can without many supplements at all. So I think that's where finding peace somewhere in your life and dealing with issues and you know learning to meditate and stuff is also a really really big area of importance. Absolutely. I love that you mentioned that cuz it's so important for helping us manage our stress levels, right? Yes, yeah, stress is like at the root of everything I feel like. Absolutely. Yes, I can feel it in my body when I'm overworked or not sleeping enough or even just not eating well enough and my schedule's all over the place then there's this almost this like puffiness that shows up in my body and it's inflamed. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And so where can our listeners purchase your book? So it's on Amazon. It's actually a 34% off on Amazon right now. Sweet deal. Yeah. And then it's at Barnes and Noble and it's at a lot of different local bookstores. So really all over the place. I have a link to it on my website. I mean, just type in 30 day thyroid reset plan on Amazon and it will pop up. Perfect. And we will be sure to link that up in the show notes. And I know that you also have the ultimate thyroid guide on your site that people can go download. Can you tell us more about this? So I think the biggest questions I get are what labs should I have my doctor do as far as a thyroid panel? And then what does it mean or what are the optimal lab ranges? 
So I came up with a guide. It's just a PDF. So we don't have to go through a bunch of reading and that type of thing. But it's looking at all the different markers you should be asking your doctor to test, what those markers mean, and what the optimal levels are. And then different symptoms of hypo and hyperthyroid. And then it goes into my top 10 natural thyroid remedies. Amazing. Yeah. Love this. Okay. Well, we will be sure to share that link in our show notes so that all the women can go and access that. And where are you hanging out online? I know you're on Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? It's at Dr. Becky Campbell. I'm not so much on Facebook anymore as I used to be. I'm really loving Instagram right now. So that's, you know, there. My website is drbeckycampbell.com. So those two places. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing all this incredible information. And I'm really excited for your book. I encourage everybody to go over to Amazon, grab it while it's on sale, and hang out with Dr. Becky Campbell on Instagram. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. My pleasure. What a great episode with Dr. Becky Campbell. I hope you guys are going to grab the 30-Day Thyroid Reset Plan. You can check out her newest book over on Amazon, which I believe is currently on sale. And hit up Dr. Becky Campbell on Instagram. That's where she's hanging out, at Dr. Becky Campbell. And you can also follow her on Facebook at Dr. Becky Campbell as well. And her website, drbeckycampbell.com. All of this information, as well as access to grab her free top 10 natural thyroid remedy PDF download is all in today's show notes. And you can find all of that over at my website, holisticwellness.ca forward slash episode 32. It was really great to have Dr. Pecky Campbell here today. And I really hope you guys get your hands on her new book. I love her book because it's very easily digestible information and not to mention the recipes. I don't know about you guys, but when I have a recipe book, I want to see photos of the recipes. It's always important to me. And she's got these amazing, beautiful recipe photos in there. So I think you will love the recipes as well as the paleo meal plan. And speaking of paleo, there are many amazing paleo products that you can get your hands on over at Pure Feast. So I order a lot of my Primal Kitchen avocado oil and mayo and salad dressings from Pure Feast and all of my Perfect Keto products, which I really love, any bulletproof products and coffees. Pure Feast has such an array of great products, Whole30 friendly, paleo friendly, keto friendly. So so definitely check them out and make sure that you use coupon code holistic wellness to save 10% off of your first three orders over $75 over at purefeast.com. And if there are questions that you have about any products, things that you're thinking of purchasing or trying, let me know because I've pretty much tried many of the products on there and I can always help to guide you with your purchases. So thank you everybody for tuning in today. I hope that we will see you live tonight on our free webinar all about thyroid and autoimmune and come tune in with us tonight. Ask us your questions and we look forward to connecting with you live. Thanks so much everybody for being here and I'll chat with you guys next week. Bye.